what actually is prayer, right? And how do we pray? Those are the main questions that we'll be answering this morning by listening to Jesus together. And while we do so, we will be looking at this very famous passage of scripture now known to us as the Lord's Prayer. And in fact, we as a church will be spending two weeks on this section of scripture together, two weeks. And the reason is because, yes, concerning what we will do next week, we will then dive into each line of the Lord's Prayer together, which is how this Lord's Prayer is more usually taught. But that said, what we'll be doing this week well, together this morning, we will be looking at Jesus' overall teaching here in all of verses 7 through 15. Meaning, instead of only or mainly looking at each line of the Lord's Prayer itself, this morning, we're going to be seeing what Jesus tells us in this whole section there on prayer. And in doing so, again, we'll especially see what prayer is and how to pray according to Jesus. And concerning this topic of prayer, this is a topic which should really interest probably each of us, right? Because the truth is, as Christians, as, as those who, who know we're sinful and not right in ourselves, but are reconciled to God through trusting in what Jesus did alone in his life, death, and resurrection, as Christians, we are people who pray. We are in fact, it's Jesus who actually assumes that about us as people. And even the first four words here of our passage, the first four words, because look, look quickly how Jesus starts all this. Verse 7, and when you pray. Meaning Jesus, our king, knows that for those who follow him and are truly in his kingdom, it is a thing that, that they, that we pray. Right? And so that's, that's all of us. And so quickly, just first, to be honest, if you are here and you realize that you never actually do pray, I do just lovingly want to say, you might want to look at your life and see if you truly know the gospel and if you've personally trusted in Jesus. Because again, Jesus himself assumes and he teaches here that those who know him do pray. Right? We do talk to God. And so we pray, but still, let, let's, let's be honest, even as genuine Christians, we probably all struggle with this. And we struggle with prayer first, probably because we don't fully understand prayer and or we may think prayer is something that it's not. But then second, I think we all probably struggle with prayer because when we get down to pray, we sometimes just don't know what to say. And so all that said, that's why this passage here, church, from Jesus is so precious. Because in basic, what's going on here, brothers and sisters, is that the Son of God, the second member of the eternal trinity, who remember, as the Apostle John tells us elsewhere in the Bible, in John chapter 1, and the word Jesus was with God and the word was God. He, he, he is here and he's about to tell us a lot about prayer, about communing with God, about talking to God. And yes, in doing so, he'll give us some specific examples of sentences we can pray, which we'll briefly talk about this week and dive more into next week. But also, more generally, in this passage, he's about to tell us what prayer is and how to do it. Which means, for all of us here this morning, especially if you are a follower of Jesus, we should be excited to hear from Jesus and what he's about to tell us this morning. Because when we really dig into what he says, it's not only educational on prayer, although it is, but it's encouraging. And it can really stir us each to be people who pray more and who pray more in accordance with who we were meant to be. 
And so that's where we're going this morning, which briefly then brings us to our outline of our time together. And so again, if you look down at your Bibles in our passage, you can see that this whole section of Scripture by Jesus clearly has three paragraphs to it, three paragraphs. And so for us, those will be our three main sections this morning. And as for what they are, first, we'll just look at verses 7 and 8 to start, where Jesus actually begins this famous passage by teaching us what prayer isn't and how not to pray. And then second, we'll briefly look at the Lord's Prayer itself and see Jesus' overarching example of prayer there. And there we will see more about what prayer is and how to pray. Which then third and finally for this morning will lead us to those two closing and more difficult verses in verses 14 and 15. Where Jesus lovingly warns us about something in all of this. And so in summary, three sections. First, what prayer isn't and how not to pray. Second, we'll see Jesus tell what prayer is and how to pray in that Lord's Prayer. And then third, a loving but firm warning from Jesus in all of this. But all that said, church, let's then begin our first section in here. Again, verses 7 and 8, and we're seeing what prayer isn't and how not to pray according to Jesus. And we see it that way because notice, both in verse 7 and in verse 8, you can see Jesus says to us very clearly, do not, do not. <laughs> And so this is our Lord, Savior, and King lovingly telling us, his people, how not to think of prayer. And for this, we'll start with just verse 7. So look down. Jesus is continuing teaching in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So overall, what Jesus decides to mention here is that true prayer, meaning truly talking to the living God, isn't as the Gentiles do. And just so you know, that word Gentiles in your Bibles is just the Greek word back then for nations. And specifically, it was the Jewish way back then of talking about the nations that didn't know the one and true living God. And so, we are not to pray as those who don't know God, and therefore those who don't actually pray. But specifically, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, in this verse 7, Jesus says two things about the way the Gentiles prayed back then, and they very much still apply today. Two things we should not do in prayer. First, Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And that word for empty phrases in the original Greek is actually a compound word, meaning it's two words put together. And specifically, it is the word to say, which is legeo, put together with the onomatopoeia bata. It's the Greek word bata legeo, to say bata. And hearing that, especially that grammar word onomatopoeia, that might bring you back to elementary school, right? But in brief, remember an onomatopoeia is a word that is basically invented because it sounds like the sound it's representing. In English examples, are words like buzz or pop or boom. And so it is from Jesus here. And in fact, very interestingly, this is the only time this Greek word shows up in the whole New Testament. And most scholars think Jesus might have even made it up. And again, it is just the word to say combined with the sound bata. And what does that all mean that Jesus is getting at? Well, it means apparently Jesus, while talking about how these nations prayed, he says they would heap up empty phrases like that, saying sounds like bata, 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 or things like that. And why? Well, because they thought that that would make them heard. They thought that they'd be able to get their God's attention more, or that their prayers would be answered because of their seemingly spiritual sounds. And Jesus says we are not to be like that in our praying. 
That's the first thing in this verse about not, what not to do in prayer. Which is just the second thing. And that's how Jesus then expands on that by talking about how these nations didn't only heap up empty phrases, but they also, quote, think they will be heard for their many words. And so now here Jesus is talking about words, many words, and, and talking about words like that clearly sounds a little better than talking about sounds and saying bata. But even here Jesus is saying they're wrong in thinking that if you say a lot of words, then you'll be heard. Which means for us, brothers and sisters, we're not heard or answered in prayer, number one, because we sound spiritual, or number two, because of the right amount of words we say either. That's just verse seven. Which quickly now leads to verse 8 in this section. So continuing on, look at what Jesus says there now. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here, again, Jesus tells us not to be like the Gentiles, but now he gives another reason, and it's, quote, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And positive to, positively, this shows us, brothers and sisters, that our Father, right, which which. Jesus telling us to call God your father here and in the Lord's prayer to come is significant, especially in comparison to how the nations talked to their gods back then and to how many people think of God today. But anyways, this positively does show us that our, our father knows what we need. He knows what you need. He really does, even before you pray. Right, so that's the positive part of what Jesus says here. But then the flip side implied warning from Jesus here is that this also means that concerning how we shouldn't pray, Jesus implies here that we do not pray to inform God. We do not pray to inform God or worse, to manipulate God. Because our, our Father already knows what we need before we even ask Him. So that's verses 7 and 8 in our first section on Jesus just quickly telling us what prayer isn't and how not to pray. And really to, to sum that all up and just to make sure we all get it and hopefully to make it personal, just quickly then, here's just five takeaways from those two verses from our Savior Jesus concerning what prayer isn't and how you and I shouldn't pray. Five takeaways concerning prayer. Number one, prayer isn't then about some super spirituality. For example, where you repeat spiritual phrases to sound so holy or to reach some higher spiritual plane. It's not about saying bata, bata, bata or any other sounds which may seem spiritual to you or make you feel spiritual. Number two, prayer isn't about using a certain number of words to get God to listen to you or answer you. As if he needs you to say so much and then he'll listen. Number three, prayer isn't about saying things to make God care about you. Or care about what's going on in your life. And we know that because he's already your father if you are in Christ. Jesus makes it clear. He already so deeply loves you. Number four. Prayer is not about informing God about things he doesn't know. And, and I know saying it like that makes it sound sort of silly. Because we all know, of course, he's God. He knows everything. But still, I do think Jesus says this here. Because we sometimes do kind of think of prayer like that. Of informing God. And then finally, number five, Jesus teaches us here that prayer isn't about manipulating God to act either. And I want to make really clear this final takeaway, because if you boil it down, that's really what the nations usually thought about prayer back then. And it's still what so many people subtly still think about prayer today. The default thinking about prayer is not communing and dwelling and talking to the living God. Instead, it's sure, okay, he's God and we're only creatures, but 
we sort of think we can get him kind of of do whatever we ask if we just ask him the right way or be spiritual enough. And then we can almost trick him to do what we say. And yet Jesus says that is not what prayer is. Because yes, it is true. That is those who know Jesus and and trust in God our Father. He does hear our prayers and he answers as he sees fit. But church, we never manipulate God because he already knows what we need and loves us. And so that is what prayer isn't and how not to pray according to Jesus. And quickly for all of us, especially before we talk about the Lord's Prayer now in a second, we each should right now maybe just take a minute and take note of what Jesus just said here. And then whatever of those five takeaways maybe struck out to you, stuck out to you, especially as something that you know you probably kind of think of prayer as, then maybe write it down and just commit to thinking of prayer less like that and thinking of prayer differently. Because again, it is Jesus, not me, it's Jesus, who before actually teaching on the famous Lord's Prayer and how to pray, it's him who wants us to know this first. That prayer isn't some super spiritual sounding thing focusing on many words where you make God love you or you inform him or manipulate him. That is off the table for us as Christians. That's that's not prayer. Instead, what is prayer and how do we do it? Well, that brings us now to our second section. For this, we'll now be in the famous Lord's Prayer and see how Jesus taught us to pray. And yet, even on this, before we begin, think about it. Because of what Jesus just said, as we start on this Lord's Prayer, we need to be very clear that this Lord's Prayer isn't now just Jesus' version of the Gentiles' prayer. And I know that might sound confusing at first, but here's what I mean. So remember, we just covered how Jesus just told us that prayer isn't about mainly saying certain words to rouse God or to inform him or especially to manipulate him to act. And yet, the irony is now, it's this Lord's Prayer, which in some ways for so many people and churches and traditions has become almost like some spiritual thing to be said and then repeated. It's this Lord's Prayer, which in many ways has then been taken and subtly almost become what Jesus just warned about, where we think that if we say exactly this and say it in the right way, then God will hear us. And so just to begin on this, we need to note that can't be Jesus' point. That's not what Jesus intended by this Lord's Prayer. Instead, what is this? Well, it's an example. It's a pattern for us, which really displays to us from Jesus what prayer is and how to do it. And again, next week, we'll break down the prayer line by line. But for now, what we'll do this morning is just look at the overall things that Jesus mentions here, the overall topics and structure of the prayer. Because while each line shows us some examples of what to pray, I do think it's the overall topics and structure that even show us more clearly what prayer is and how to do it. And so that's what we'll do now. And for this, we'll see how this Lord's Prayer has four parts to it. Four parts. Number one, the address. Number two, the main prayer. Number three, some prayers concerning God. And then finally, number four, some prayers concerning ourselves. That is the overall pattern of this prayer. The address, the main prayer. Prayers concerning God. Prayers concerning ourselves. And so all it said, let's start with the first part. And again, this is the address. And we'll see this just in the first half of verse 9. So picking up where we left off, look down at your Bibles, the first half of verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. So again, next week, we'll actually talk even more about that. But briefly, we just see a few quick things in this address. A few quick things. First, in that word our, we, ass- we see that Jesus assumes a communal aspect to prayer. 
or a communal aspect, which does mean that we are to pray together often, but also it means that even when we're praying alone, we are to know as we pray to God that we are in this together. That's why doing something like this in church and brothers and sisters is so important. We're in this together with other believers. Or to use Jesus' words, we should realize that the God we're talking to isn't just my father, although he is, but he's our father. He's Jesus' father, my father, our father. Second on that, we also see here that Jesus amazingly tells us to address God as our father. Father. And of course, we will talk about this for a while next week because of how significant it is, especially in a couple ways, and especially in one amazingly profound way, which we will talk about. So come back for that next week. But in short... We need to note here that God the Father is who Jesus addresses in his prayer when you read the Bible. And he calls us, he invites us to do the same. And then third on this, Jesus also here reminds us that our Father who is so loving and kind towards us is also the sovereign God who rules and reigns over all things in heaven. And so just think about it. In this address, we see God's love and tender kindness towards us and his rule and power. Which again is what we all love and need. And so that's the main part of this, the first part of this prayer here, which now brings us to the second part of this prayer. And this is now what we will call the main prayer or the main ask. And this is actually the second half of verse 9. But for context, we'll read all of verse 9 again. So Jesus teaches us, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the main prayer, the main ask that Jesus calls us to is that well as Jesus' people, we ask that our Father's name, meaning in the Bible who he is, to be hallowed, which is just an older English word for to be recognized and seen and treated as holy. And again, much more on this next week, but in short, we should just note that that prayer may sound boring to us. <laughs> or it might sound impractical or just religious. But... I do think that that's honestly because, number one, of that really unfortunate old English word hollowed, <laughs> which is just there because of tradition in the King James Version, even though it's a word that we never use in speech anymore. But then also, number two, I think it's because sometimes we don't really get God's holiness. God's holiness. And, and, and really, a lot more on this next week, but in short, just think about it. Yes, it is absolutely true that if we view God's holiness as this dry, removed, mere sinlessness, and that alone, then, then sure, right? It may sound weird or even boring that the main prayer from Jesus here is for us and for others to see that about God. That God is this, this removed but perfect being, and that's it. But if holiness... God's holiness in the Bible is way more than that. If, if God's holiness is more about God's beautiful and majestic and wonderful and kind and creative and powerful and perfect, loving goodness, right? if, his prayer, if this prayer is about that being made known and shown, if it's about how our triune God of love exists and he's Father, Son, Spirit and he, he saves in his way of salvation, his grace and his sovereignty and creativity are better than anything in the world, if holiness is more about all of that, how he's the source of all goodness, then that means that this prayer of saying, Father, I really want myself, I want this world, and I want those around me to see more of that. If that's the case, then this prayer actually makes a ton of sense. 
And not only that, but then this is actually a beautiful prayer and even a loving prayer as well. Since the hollowing of God's name is what you and I and the world so desperately needs. But again, we'll talk about that more next week. But that is the main prayer. The main ask. Hallowed be your name. Which now moving on leads us to the bulk of the prayer. And that's again in part three. Prayers concerning God about that. And then part four. Prayers concerning us. And so let's start with prayers concerning God's ways. And for this we'll now be in just verse 10. So the Bible continues. Jesus continues. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. So think about it. If you're tracking. Once we understand the main ask of hallowed be your name rightly. We think of that as the beautiful thing it is, then these prayers here in this verse 10 fit perfectly. Because let's be honest, we so often make prayers just about us and our daily needs, which are coming in verses 11 through 13 for sure. But again, if we really realize that God our Father is so unique and holy and special and loving and kind and creative and, and what we and others need, then guess what we will pray for? Well, above all, we'll want his kingdom and reign to come. We'll want what he wants to be done here as it's already being done in heaven. Which finally leads us to the last three verses of the prayer, which now Jesus here will instruct us in some ways to pray concerning ourselves. So this is the final and fourth part of the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus says this, verses 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So next week we'll dig more into each of those lines. But in short, again, these are prayers that especially concern us. Right? And they're prayers about how, number one, we depend daily on this holy God. Which we depend on him not only for daily bread, but implied here is also things like guidance as well. And number two, there's a prayer here about how we need forgiveness, which makes sense since we are not holy in ourselves. And so we ask for forgiveness and implied here is that our Father in heaven does forgive us in Jesus. And then finally, number three, the last two prayers there are about us asking to not fall prey to things that would lead us away from this beautiful and holy God by giving into temptation or by any, any evil in general. And then finally, just if you are curious, almost no modern translation includes that traditional for yours is the kingdom power and glory forever, amen. And that's because it was almost certainly, most, almost every scholar agrees, added later. It's not in the oldest manuscripts we've now dug up. And so we can definitely say it and we can, we can pray it, but almost everyone agrees it wasn't originally in Matthew and that Jesus didn't teach it. But anyways, so that's this Lord's Prayer in a nutshell. And again, much more could be said on that, and we'll dive into each line further next week. But for now, just think about if you had never heard this Lord's Prayer before. And even just imagine that you were here in this scene 2,000 years ago, back in Israel, on the hillside, listening to Jesus teach the Sermon on the Mount, and you just heard him teach all that about prayer. Ask yourself, what would you think about prayer? And specifically, what would you think about what prayer is and how you should pray? Right, and I do think it's good for us to consider Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer like that a little bit because that's why uh, we are going to spend two weeks on this because the truth is we can go slow and go line by line which is how this prayer is often taught because each line there is so jam-packed. And yet also remember church, Jesus taught this to people in history like you and me and he kind of did it in one quick go. 
And so before digging into all the details, just hearing the overall structure, we should ask, he just taught that, and what does that overall teach about what prayer is and how to do it? And in answer to that, I think we can all see at least two overarching truths here about prayer that deeply can apply to our lives and our praying. Two overall truths which show us what prayer is really according to Jesus and how you and I should pray. Two overall truths. Number one, the Lord's Prayer here shows us that in what prayer is and how to pray, it's surprisingly mainly about God our Father and prayer is connecting our words and our hearts and our souls with who he is and his ways. You can see that prayer is mainly about connecting our words and our hearts and our souls with, with God. And think about it. That being the case makes sense, especially after how Jesus opened in verses 7 and 8. Because think of Jesus' logic we see in this whole passage. If prayer mainly isn't about saying many words or manipulating God or informing God about what we need so we can coerce him to act, then what's the point? What is it? Well, it's about focusing on God our Father and talking and communing with him in reality and aligning our hearts and souls and words with him and his ways. And, and when we say that, hear me out, that does not mean that your and my petitions and what we ask for specifically in prayer doesn't matter. All that really does matter. And the Bible is so clear about that. But it does mean, brothers and sisters, that prayer is so much more than mainly asking God for things. It really is. And if you hear anything this morning, I just hope you hear that. Prayer, according to Jesus, is so much more than mainly just asking God for things. Because God our Father is a real person. And if you trust in Jesus genuinely, you are reconciled to him and you are his child. And so prayer isn't about informing our Father or worse, manipulating him. Instead, it really is about talking to him and communicating with him and again, aligning our hearts with him in his ways. Or to say it another way, think of it this way. Prayer is basically then aligning ourselves with what is actually true and most important in reality. And, and in a way, it's removing the fog we all live in in our daily lives and in this world. Be because again, our triune God is real. He is the creator and he's holy and loving and glorious and he is what we in this whole world needs. And yet, we all live so much of our lives almost like in a fog. We, we say we believe Jesus and how good and loving our God is. And, and we do. If, if we are genuinely Christians, we do. But then sadly, what dominates our lives and our thoughts? Us. And just this world and day-to-day -day stuff. And so in a big way, what prayer is and, and how we should pray is doing our best to really talk to God our Father and particularly about Him and His ways. And the point is when we do that, that fog in a way will start to dissipate. Because the more we really pray like this, the more we will realize that God is real, the one we're talking to is real, His gospel is true, that I'm His child and He's so loving and good and therefore, the more we will start to think. And so when I really consider all of that, I start to see that, yes, I have petitions and needs and asks that I'm going to ask my Father, but above all, I really do want Him and His will. I want His kingdom to come. I want others to see how great He is, and Father, just keep me away from anything that leads me away from You. And as we do that, and we commune with our Father like that, 
we will start to feel our minds refreshed and defogged. And then we are also freed to love God much more deeply and even love others a lot more as well. So that's the first thing about prayer, the first overarching truth, which then leads to the second overall truth here. And that's how this Lord's Prayer then from Jesus then places any prayers about ourselves within that proper context of God and his ways. You see that? It places any prayers about ourselves within that proper context of God and his ways. And this is where we need to realize that we don't need to always pray exactly in this order or exactly for these things. We can. And yet though, I still do think that Jesus clearly has this first half here being so much about God and his holiness and his ways. And then the second half being about us in relation to that. He has that in order for a reason. Because again, this then shows us that really our prayers concerning us are to be in the sphere of mainly thinking about God. That's how we're mainly to think of prayer. Mainly thinking about God and our prayers being in that sphere. And I know, at first, that may not sound so great. It might even be humbling. Because if we're honest, we want our prayers about ourselves or about us to mainly be in the sphere about God just thinking only about us. But God our Father loves us so much more than allowing us to settle for that. Because if we view prayer mainly about us, then what will happen is it won't align our hearts with God our Father. It won't refresh us as it should. Instead, prayer will become more shallow and eventually burdensome, which is what prayer is for so many people. But instead of that, if prayer is mainly about communing with the living God, our Father, and having our hearts and souls and words lifted above the fog to focus on Him, and then of course, yes, we will have many things we want to ask Him for and talk to Him about, but when we do so, we'll do so with Him and His ways having precedence in our minds, which will then be for our peace and joy, and it will be for His glory as well. And so, brothers and sisters, that is this Lord's Prayer in more general. In summary, Jesus' teaching here is a magnificent example of what prayer is and how it will allow us to be lifted above just ourselves and find joy and peace in God our Father while also allowing us to depend on Him and bring the desires of our hearts to Him. So that's most of this passage. Which now finally, for our third and last section this morning, leads us to those two verses that end the passage. This will be our briefest section, but I want to treat these sentences by Jesus as their own section because just like I think the first two verses of this passage are often downplayed, so I definitely think these last two verses often are as well. And why are they? Well, because they're a firm warning and they are not easy to hear and they almost come as a shock. But that's why I want us to look at them more closely and see what Jesus is saying. And so let's do that now. So we just finished the Lord's Prayer, which leads Jesus to conclude like this, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is Jesus almost expanding on verse 12 from the Lord's Prayer. Because notice, look again at verse 12. There in the second half of verse 12 is a statement about what's true. We ask for forgiveness, quote, as we have also forgiven our debtors. It is not, may you forgive us, and Lord, may you forgive others. It's not two petitions. Instead, verse 12 says, forgive us as we have forgiven others. Meaning, you can see it. Jesus assumes there that those praying this prayer do forgive those who sin against them. 
And therefore, it's taking that and expanding on that that Jesus then says his warning here. And what's the warning? Well, very clearly from Jesus to those listening back then and today who think they're in his kingdom, the warning is, if you forgive others, you will be forgiven. But if you don't, neither will your father forgive you. And now, again, that probably is really surprising to us. Because <laughs> we might now think, is, is Jesus now all of the sudden now teaching us that the one thing I need to do in order to merit God's forgiveness is forgive others? And the answer to that is actually no. Because if you think about it, that's actually assuming a causal connection here that Jesus doesn't technically make. He does not say you need to forgive others in order to merit your father forgiving you. Because Jesus himself knows that all forgiveness, Old Testament, New Testament, is based on God's mercy. And he especially knows that all forgiveness, Old Testament, New Testament, is based on his cross, which he's about to go and accomplish in this book of Matthew. And so it is not forgive in order to merit your forgiveness from your father. Rather, think about it. More basically, Jesus here is making his point that his followers... Those who do know him and genuinely trust him in his gospel, they are people who are changed by the Spirit. And because of that, they're people who do forgive others. And all that said, positively, his point is, if that's you, if you genuinely know Jesus like that, not just in name, but genuinely, then you will be forgiven. Because being forgiven and being changed by the Spirit from one degree to the next is part of the gospel and being part of Jesus' kingdom. And so we as Jesus' people are those who say and pray as we have forgiven our debtors. But on the other hand, Jesus is warning here that if you're someone who doesn't really forgive others, who doesn't have a heart transformed by the gospel of grace like that, then he's saying that's evidence you do not genuinely know him. And you haven't truly trusted his good news, even if you say so in name. And therefore, because of that, you will not be forgiven. Which means, to bring all of this now full circle, that means that concerning what prayer is and how to pray, in a subtle way, Jesus finally here does teach us that prayer fundamentally does depend on us knowing and genuinely believing in his good news of what he did. A good news which, when we do really believe it, is something genuine and true and changes us. And, that, and that's then how these final verses, I think, ultimately apply to you and to me. Because that means finally here, for all of us, the question we do need to ask ourselves is, have I genuinely trusted in Jesus and what he did and who he is? Right? The immediate question of these verses is, do I show that by forgiving others? But the deeper question below that from Jesus is, have I first really trusted in Jesus and been changed? Not just in name, but genuinely. And so for all of us here this morning, let's just, let's just make sure finally on this passage that before we even try to pray, let's just make sure that we each personally have truly accepted the gospel and do trust in Jesus. Meaning we need to each make sure that we personally believe that we know that we are broken and sinful, not right in ourselves, but God, the creator and our father, has provided a way back in the coming of his son through Jesus' perfect life, his death for sin, his resurrection. He's alive right now. And then we each need to personally accept that and trust him. All because again, before we can ever pray like this or pray better or rightly or be heard by God our Father, we need to trust in Jesus and the gospel. And then we will be changed by one degree to the next to be people who forgive others. So that's our passage here, church. And again, that's overall. 
what Jesus teaches us about what prayer actually is and how to pray. And so now, as we just quickly close one last time, and especially before we dig into the details together more next week in these lines, let's just now each try to take what Jesus taught and make it personal and apply it this week. Let's make sure to really try to do what our Savior is saying to us here in our praying. Which means, brothers and sisters, let's seek now after this morning, number one, to actually pray. Because that's something we do joyfully as Christians. And then also, though, number two, as we do so, let's make our prayers not about you and I informing God or saying the right things to make him love us or to sound so super spiritual. Instead, let's each just go to God our Father because of what Jesus has done for us. Now let's dwell with our Father and ask for him to be seen as so great in our lives and the lives of others. And then in all that, let's put our requests before him, whatever we may have. And then finally, as Jesus concluded with, while we do that, let's also just make sure we are willing to love and to show mercy to others. Because, brothers and sisters, our God really does love us and has shown such mercy to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray.